Amen. Thank you, Dana and team, for leading us. Good morning, Trinity. Good to see you here. And Jason, yes, it is good to see you risen from the dead here today. (laughs) Two and a half weeks after back surgery, that's pretty amazing. So praise the Lord for that. And uh, for those of you that are praying for my mom as well, this past week she took a fall and at uh, assisted living where she is, went to the emergency room Thursday, early Thursday morning. She's walking again, amazingly, miraculously. So praise the Lord for that. Uh, we thought that might be taken from her. but <clears throat> So lots of things to be thankful for today, and so thankful that you are here and a part of what we're doing. And as Dana prayed for our our uh, giving today, and, and, you know, our practice the last few years has been to <clears throat> sing the doxology as our expression of thanks to God for His gifts to us so that we could give back to Him, and uh, so we've been doing that faithfully, and just, as we mentioned last week, so generous in the giving toward Casa de Abbey and meeting that matching gift. I appreciate that. But at the same time, I also need, need to let you know, because we don't talk about it very often, our general fund giving here at Trinity, we are about $35,000 behind for this year so far in 2022, and a lot of other things have been going on and so on, uh, but uh, just encourage you not to forget about our needs and our commitments to our budget right here, um, and I know that you will move as, and give as God leads you to do so. And we, we just put those numbers, they're kind of at the bottom of the insight, so if you don't get all the way to the bottom of the insight on Wednesdays, you may not see that. So just to let you know and to be ready to respond, and uh, just in, as you give generally, that goes to our general fund, pays our bills on a daily basis, so thank you for doing that. And also to share with you too, a very special uh, day today, <clears throat> we have, if you've noticed over here, a pink rose to my left, to your right, and that is to commemorate a a baby, a grandbaby born uh, to someone in our congregation, Robert and Claude Dunlap, this week on Wednesday, welcomed their first grandchild, Emily Marie Dunlap. So, <laughs> granddaughter, what did I say? First girl. Oh, okay, good. Well, that's still special, right? <laughs> Emily Marie, so here's, here's the details. She was born 315, March 15th, Kennestone Hospital in Marietta, 4 pounds, 6 ounces, 17 and a half inches. And yes, that's small because she was born six weeks early, and so she is in the NICU, probably be there four, is four to six weeks still the expectation. So uh, be praying for her. So this, is, this rose is a reminder to pray as well as to celebrate with uh, Robert and Claude on the blessing of this granddaughter. Um, and uh, let me just say... Uh, two, that we are uh, this Wednesday, as Nick mentioned, if you can come uh, to that celebration service for Ellie. Mo and Ellie, as many of you know, have been a part of Trinity for many years, moved a couple years away ago to uh, coming to assisted living, and uh, Ellie passed away a couple weeks ago, and so we will be celebrating her life. Just We do it at both ends, right? We celebrate life when it's born, but for believers, we can celebrate a life lived as well. And thank God that she is now fully alive in her Savior's presence. So, as Nick said, that'll be at Perimeter Church this Wednesday afternoon. Uh, I'd like to do one thing before we pray for the message this morning, and uh, that is to recite a creed. We sometimes do that here at Trinity, the Apostles' Creed, and we'll, we'll pull that out. It's just a historical statement of faith of the church. And, uh, 
as, you, as we sang in that last song, that really essentially was a creed in itself. Here's what we believe about our hope in Christ. And uh, sometimes it's good to do it together uh, in verbal form as well. So would you stand with me? We'll have the words on the screen, and let's just recite this historic statement of faith together. <clears throat> we believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for this statement of faith, for this reminder. The church has proclaimed for hundreds of years that you are the God and God alone. <clears throat> and that, Lord Jesus, you as God's Son came to this earth to die for our sin and to rise again from the dead and that you are coming again. Lord, all of this is our hope. It's our life. And so, Lord, this morning as we come to your word, this passage in Acts 26, I pray, Lord, that you will just teach us through the life and the witness of Paul, that we would hear your voice speaking to us through your word. Lord, I thank you that your word is living and active and at work in us as we read it, as we study it, as we hear it. And Lord, I thank you that you've sent your Holy Spirit to take your word and to apply it and to teach us and counsel us with your word. And so, Lord, we're asking for that work to be done in our hearts, even as we go through this message today. And I ask that you would give me the right words to accurately communicate your truth today, and that we would be responsive hearers of your word, doers of your word together. We thank you for our unity we share in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Probably most of us have been following the crisis in Ukraine. And again, I, I just, it strikes me every day. And it's, many times it's heartbreaking. And so this week I did a little research. I wanted to know the history of Ukraine's independence as they are currently fighting for their freedom. I didn't remember it very well, so I went back and found some details. It was on January 21st, 1990 when over 400,000 Ukrainians formed a human chain stretching from Kiev to Lviv. You've heard those cities mentioned the last couple of weeks. They were demonstrating for their independence from the Soviet Union. That goes all the way back to January 1990. Well, it would be another 20 months after that demonstration, after that human chain, in August of 1991, when Ukraine finally gained its independence. And in the years that followed that, there was a, uh, just some back and forth. There were, you know, as, as new governments trying to form, there were, there were failures galore. But there were also leaders who would lean one way to the, to the east toward Russia. Another leader would come along and lean the other way west toward the European Union. And the country was kind of caught in the middle, unsure which way to go. 
In 2014, as you know, when Russia invaded Crimea, those, that, about that same time, those eastern territories along the Russian border came under conflict and, and dispute. And it was kind of, that kind of seemed to be the trigger point for a lot of the people in Ukraine, where they began to move as a country further to the west, pushing for an alliance with the European Union. And that's what's led us to the war that's going on today. Oh, so that country has known over 30 years of independence, of freedom. And I think it's that freedom that has placed in the hearts of the Ukrainians this sacrificial resolve to keep their freedom, to fight for their freedom. So Russia's attempt to bomb the Ukrainians into submission has really only strengthened that resolve to be free, to stay free. And none of us know where this fight, this war is going to end, but it's been amazing to see these people. And just like this picture, people from all walks of life in Ukraine who are volunteering to go fight. Not trained soldiers, everyday people taking up arms to defend their freedom. You see, those who have tasted freedom, as the Ukrainians have, value it the most. Those who've tasted freedom value it the most. And those in danger of losing their freedom will fight for it the hardest. Paul had lost his freedom. You remember as we stopped last week in chapter 25, he'd now been two years in prison in Caesarea. And when Agrippa, King Agrippa, joins Governor Festus to come and hear Paul's case, he's given now the freedom to speak. And this is a great opportunity for him as a prisoner, the freedom to speak. So what does Paul do with this opportunity? How does he use his freedom in this moment? Does he, as I would think I would do, does he come and just plead for his release? Hey, guys, I'm innocent. King Agrippa, please, let me go. I'm a Jew. Let me go. He doesn't do that. Does he call out these Jewish leaders and all the false charges against him? Well, he mentions it, but he doesn't dwell on that. Does he blame the previous Roman administration? Remember, Felix had been the previous governor. He didn't see any reason to keep him, but he also didn't free him. Does he call that out? No, he doesn't say anything about that. He doesn't do any of the things we would expect. Instead, Paul, or that others might expect, he does maybe what we would expect, and that is he gives his testimony. His, his moment to speak is his moment to give his testimony, and he talks about another kind of liberty, another kind of freedom, about freedom in Christ. He's on trial for his hope in the fulfillment of God's promises, and that's what he proclaims. I think we should also note here as we jump into Acts 26 today that this is the longest speech of Paul recorded by Luke in the book of Acts. And that means it must have some importance for the purpose of Luke in writing the book of Acts. I think it's also, as we look at this passage this morning, an example of how, for us, how to speak freely about our faith. And I've chosen that as the title for the message today, Speak Freely. And, and seeing Paul's example, I think, will truly change not only what we say, but how we say it as we approach our own testimony and proclamation of the gospel. So if you would please turn with me to Acts chapter 26. Take your phone, device, whatever you have, your Bible, pick one up from a chair below 
uh, that's down underneath the chairs in front of you. I want to read for us, rather than having it read beforehand, I want to read right in the midst of our message here, Acts 26, verses 1 to 15. I want you to hear Paul's words as he begins to speak about his testimony. Acts 26, I'll begin in verse 1. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way that I have lived ever since I was a child, from beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they're willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. It was, I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. And we all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now, I'll stop there. We'll pick up the verses in just a moment. But what I see in this passage first off is that like Paul, you can speak about your story of freedom. That's what Paul's doing here. He's telling about his salvation story. He's given his testimony. And we noted this about Paul earlier in the book of Acts, that he loves to tell his story. Numerous times Luke records this, and there are probably many other times he didn't record where Luke shared his testimony. So now, especially in front of Agrippa, remember he's the Jewish king. He did understand Jewish theology. He had some exposure to the Old Testament. He understands Roman law. He's brought up in that Roman government system as well. And so Paul now tells how he was raised as a Jew, how he became a Pharisee. And he's building this bridge saying to Agrippa and other Jews in the room, hey, I'm I'm like you guys. I understand and you need to understand me. How he opposed the followers of Jesus, how he threw Christians in prison, how he was one of the greatest persecutors of the church. And then Paul tells about this trip to Damascus, how Jesus appeared to him, this bright light along the road, And in this particular passage, Luke gives more detail about Jesus' words to Paul than any other passage, any other recording of Paul's salvation than this one right here. Notice the words of Jesus. Now pick up back in verse 16 again. 
Jesus says to Paul, Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. Now, these additional words that we have that Jesus heard from Paul, this is a whole new life purpose. This is his calling. Paul was rescued by Jesus to tell others about that rescue, about his deliverance. And this is why your testimony of what Jesus has done for you is equally as important. It's vital to your calling as a Christian to tell others how Jesus saved you, how he freed you from your sin, and how he's changed the whole direction of your life. And that's what Paul is doing here because that's what Jesus told him to do. We have that same ability that your story of rescue and redirection, that story that you have is exactly what other people need to hear. Now, each story is different, but that's what makes it beautiful in the way that God has rescued you. A few years ago, a Christian group called Big Daddy Weave, I love that name for a Christian singing group, they produced a song called This Is My Story. And some of you that have been singing the hymns of the church for years know that there's a hymn kind of based on this is my story, this is my song, praise my Savior all the day long. They kind of took the, the thought of that hymn and they put it into a new song. So listen to some of the words. We'll put this on the screen as well. If I told you my story, you would hear victory over the enemy. And if I told you my story, you would hear freedom that was won for me. And if I told you my story... You would hear life overcome the grave. If I should speak, then let it be of the grace that is greater than all my sin. And when justice was served and where mercy wins, of the kindness of Jesus that draws me in, oh, to tell you my story is to tell of him. It's beautiful the way they put that together. To tell our story is, in essence, telling of him. To tell what Jesus did for you is to tell the gospel. Your personal testimony is one of the most powerful tools you have in sharing your faith. Sometimes we don't believe that. Sometimes we don't think that. Sometimes we at least don't act like we believe that. You know, I, don't, I don't know all the theology. I don't know all the words to say to present the gospel to somebody. Every one of us who've experienced the rescuing salvation of Jesus can tell how he rescued us. That's what Paul does here. By the way, our plan is on Wednesday nights, right after Easter, to have a, a specific class on this. If you want to know more, if you want to dig into this more, we're right now in this Lent study. It takes us right up through Easter. But right after Easter, for those next four Wednesdays, Jason and I are going to lead a class. Go to back to D101. Remember our, our learning of the basic gospel elements. We did that a couple years ago. We're going to take that and then apply it specifically how to share our faith, how to take your testimony and use it to tell somebody about Jesus. If you'd like to know more about that, that's one way we're going to actively follow up on this principle and help with that. Join us on, on Wednesday nights after Easter. Second thing we see here in this passage is to speak about the message of freedom. So that's right where Paul goes, right? He tells his testament, tells his story, and in telling his story, he tells the gospel. He gives the message of freedom. It's a message proclaimed 
by a guy in chains. I mean, here's the irony of it. Paul is standing there, the prisoner, maybe in literal chains hanging off his wrists, and he's talking about his freedom in Christ. Look at verse 17. This is Jesus still talking to Paul on the road to Damascus. He says to Paul, I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, again, we get a lot of what Jesus told Paul right there on the road. And here's Paul. He's just been blinded by this light. He's, had this, he's having this encounter with Jesus, and he remembers these words. And now he's telling this audience here in Caesarea what Jesus said to him there. And this is the message of the gospel. This is true freedom. So I want you to see at least three aspects of, of our freedom in Jesus' words to Paul. He's not just talking about Paul. He's talking about what Paul would tell others about their freedom in Christ if they would receive him by faith. So here, the first thing is the gospel message opens our eyes and turns us from darkness to light. There's the first freedom, from darkness to light. You know how it is when you walk into a dark room, especially real dark, there's just no, no light at all, and you start groping along the wall for the, for the switch. You know, I think it's here, it's here. It's, am I too low? Am I too high? Where's that switch? Or if it's multiple switches, you know, this is what I do in our bedroom. I'll flip one, two, three. None of the nothing, those don't do anything. I have to get to the one that actually turns the light on. Or even worse, if you're fine trying to find a lamp, you know, and you're fumbling around in the dark, you bump into the lampshade, you're trying to get your arm up under the lampshade to that little knob that's always on the opposite side from where you're standing. It doesn't matter where you go or how you approach the lamp, that little knob moves away and it's on the opposite side. You finally reach around, you turn it on, because you're desperate for light. In darkness, you are lost. You can't see what's going on, you can't see where you're going. You need to be freed from darkness and placed in light. That's why you turn it on. And Paul is this, this light dark metaphor is used often in the Bible to talk about the spiritual freedom that we have in Christ takes us out of darkness, not knowing our way, not knowing where to go, to being given light, understanding, revelation of who God is and what his plan is for us. All of that is part of the light. Second thing here is that Jesus says to Paul is that the gospel message frees us from the power of Satan and places us under the protective power of God. So freed from Satan, his power to God. And for, for me here, what I imagine, this is an extraordinary escape. To escape from Satan and end up in God's territory. I mean, I think of some of the great escapes uh, like in, in the movies. So Luke Skywalker escaping from the Death Star just before it explodes, okay? A great escape. Or Indiana Jones escaping from any number of potential tragedies, you know, and he just gets out by the skin of his teeth. Or if you want to think of something more historical, I love the story of Harriet Tubman, who escaped from slavery in 1849, but then just didn't enjoy her freedom. She went back 19 times to help others escape as well to bring others to freedom. 300 slaves found freedom because of Harriet Tubman going back. That's a great escape. Or maybe you remember this story, perhaps, well, this is a good while ago, so maybe you don't remember it, but Armando Sakaris. He escaped from Cuba in 1969 in the nose gear hatch of a DC-8. He survived an eight-hour flight from Cuba to Madrid with very little oxygen and no peanuts at all. 
And I don't, I don't understand why he didn't find a little shorter flight to jump on, an eight-hour cross-Atlantic flight. But he made it. He survived. That's, that's one of these great liberation stories. But all these pale in comparison to the liberation, to the freedom that Paul is talking about here. Because faith in Christ rescues you from being bound by Satan to being freed and under the power and protection of God. I mean, that is amazing. It's an extraordinary escape. Under Satan's power, there's oppression, there's suffering, there's death. Under God's power, under his protection, is joy and eternal life. It's just polar opposites. Rescued from the power of Satan, the kingdom of God. Third thing is the gospel message frees us from sin and places us in the company of those who are sanctified by faith in Christ. Now, again, it's kind of a mouthful, but what this, this makes me think again, a beautiful picture of this is the, the millions of refugees that now have fled Ukraine. Can you imagine being something? Many of these have been women and children who have escaped. A lot of the men have stayed to fight. And so we've been seeing these pictures of them coming across, pulling suitcases on wheels, probably walking for miles or taking buses or trains or whatever they can do, pushing baby strollers, whatever they could take out with them, crossing the border into Poland or some other um, free nation. And that step of leaving a war-torn country threatened by bombs and missiles, stepping into freedom cross that border to find their own people, many of their own Ukrainian people, but also people of these other nations welcoming them, helping them, offering food, clothing, whatever they need. Some of them opening their homes to these refugees coming into these little villages on the border. This is a great picture to me of what we have in Christ. We've been forgiven, rescued from the consequences of sin, the war-torn consequences of sin. And praise God, we've been placed in this family of sanctified believers, the church, where we share our faith freedom together. This is what Jesus says to Paul and what he is now proclaiming to these people in Caesarea. And as he proclaims this message in his testimony, Paul goes on now to tell King Agrippa how he obeyed that vision from heaven. How he, he did exactly what Jesus told him to do. He's preaching repentance to Jews and Gentiles alike. How this obedience then landed him into trouble with the, the Jews. And then come his, comes his statement in verse 22. So we pick it up right there. Verse 22. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. So he says... For all that's happened to me, even the bad that's happened to me, I'm here by God's grace to testify to you, to small and to great, to whoever will hear. Paul does exactly what he's called to do. He continues to testify, to tell others about what Jesus did for him. It's that simple, that straightforward. And then he goes on to tie his words right to the biblical prophets. So he gives the gospel now here in a nutshell. He's like, Let me just capsule this for you. So he says, verse 22, 23, I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Jesus suffered. He died. He rose again from the grave. That's the gospel. That's the message of light. It's the message of salvation. It's the message of freedom. And it was for everyone in that room. It's for everyone in this room as well. 
It's the simple but profound message that we have, the message of the gospel, the message of freedom, to know for ourselves and to share with others. You know, I, I think Paul was just, probably was just getting warmed up here, right? So he's given this gospel in a nutshell. I think he probably had a lot more things to say. He probably had, uh, you know, another hour that he could have preached here. But as he mentions the resurrection and this light to the Gentiles, Festus, who's the governor, he interrupts him. Verse 24, Festus says, You're out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. Now, that is either a great complimentary insult or an insulting compliment. I'm not sure which it is, but it's, it's kind of both here, right? And so Paul, at this point, at that interruption, now notice how he shifts gears. So he's given his testimony, his story of freedom. He's told the message, the gospel of freedom. And now he tells about the experience of freedom. So that's our third point to this morning. Speak about the experience of freedom. Verse 25. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. Notice this how Paul, okay, Festus interrupt, but Paul kind of directs his comments now to Agrippa. He's trying to grip Agrippa with his words, right? So he says in here, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And now it's Agrippa's turn to interrupt. So he says, okay, wait, 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 wait a minute. Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? This, this is a fascinating response, right? From this Jewish king who wasn't really very Jewish, not really a practicing Jew, and more Roman than Jew, but he understands what Paul is saying. And of course, Paul was trying to persuade him to become a Christian. This is exactly what Paul was trying to do. And maybe Agrippa here is under the Holy Spirit's conviction. We don't know what's going on, but he responds. And you almost feel like he's kind of squirming in his seat a little bit here, right? He's avoiding Paul's questions. You know he's not going to jeopardize his, his status with this Roman governor right here in this room. So notice how Paul responds. He doesn't start badgering Agrippa for avoiding this question. He doesn't rake him over the coals. He doesn't, he doesn't have at him now in this moment. Instead, Paul shares his heart. Look at verse 29. Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. Paul wanted everyone in the room to experience the spiritual freedom that he had experienced, to find forgiveness of sin, the joy of salvation, because Paul had a spiritual liberty that could not be bound by the physical chains on his arms. And he wanted others to experience that too. That was his heart prayer. In fact, I believe, you know, this is not just a... a, a a saying, a, a form of speech here when Paul says, I pray to God. I think literally he had been praying to God for Festus, for Agrippa, for Bernice, for anybody else in that room. He shared his freedom about his freedom so that they would be persuaded to have that freedom too. And here's the lesson for us. I, I think we all know people in our lives, in our walk, maybe even in our families, who, who are still in chains to their sin, still in chains to their struggles, 
have not experienced freedom in Christ yet. And I think this passage is reminding us, as Paul did, to pray to God for them. To be praying faithfully for them. And as Paul says, whether it takes a long time or not, he says, whatever the time frame is, my prayer is that you would come to know this freedom too. And so maybe it means praying daily for years for somebody. And yet that is what we should be willing to do because those who are free should have the greatest passion for freedom and desire it for others. We know the freedom. Those of us who know Christ know of what it is to have freedom in Christ. And we should desire the same thing for those around us. Let me put it in another context to try, maybe try to help flesh this out a bit. How many of you, when you were younger, well, maybe you played it, maybe you play it now, Capture the Flag. How many of you have played Capture the Flag before? Okay, so yeah, a number of you have played that game. It's a big youth group game. You have know, two, two sides and a line down the middle, and if, if you go over under the enemy's territory to capture your flag, which is over there, that's the goal of the game, go get your flag and get it back without being tagged. Well, if you go over and you get tagged, you go into jail. And so there's a place in the enemy territory where you're just kept in a little circle or whatever. You have to stay there. And if you're in jail, if you've been captured and you're in jail, the only way to get free is if one of your teammates crosses through enemy territory and gets to you without being tagged and tags you. And if you're tagged, you're free. And if you're free, then you have, the, you have the opportunity. You can run back to your side where it's safe. You can run for the flag to try to capture the flag. Or you can turn and tag somebody else that's still in jail and free them. See, only the person who's free can free somebody else. Uh, this is just a beautiful picture, I think, of what Paul is telling us here, that Jesus crossed through enemy territory, the worst kind of enemy territory at all, everything that Satan could throw at him at the cross, to tag us, to rescue us, to save us. Have you reached out your hand to him to be tagged? Have you received that gift of salvation? Don't run from it. That's your freedom. And if you have been, if you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you've been tagged, you've been freed, then look around you. If there are other prisoners around you, go tag them. Let them know about the rescuing grace of Jesus. This is the picture Paul is painting. This is what Paul is actually doing as he stands there, not just seeking his own freedom, He's more concerned about the freedom of those in the room. I love that. I just think for myself, if, if I could get my eyes and my thoughts off myself sometimes and think about others around me, how much more I would be motivated to share my freedom, share my faith. Who is it that you're praying for? Who is it that God's put on your mind and your heart and your circle of influence and your family Somebody who needs to be freed, who needs the grace of God in their life, their sin forgiven. Are you praying for them faithfully, regularly, daily? Are you speaking to them of the freedom you have in Christ? Well, the hearing ends at this point in Acts 26. And Agrippa stands up, leaves the room, 
But Luke tells us that both Agrippa and Festus, as they're walking out, they have this little conversation. They both agree that Paul's done nothing deserving death. And they both agree that if, had he not appealed to Caesar, he could be set free. But being set free isn't God's plan for him. God's plan is to take him to Rome, and God uses this to get him there. We're going to see that in the next couple chapters, the last couple chapters of Acts over the next two weeks. It's interesting to me as I look at this passage overall that the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem thought Paul was a heretic. Festus thought he was insane. He makes that comment here. Agrippa thought he was a bit too persuasive in his words. And yet Paul did not pass up his, speak, his opportunity to speak about his freedom. It didn't matter what other people thought or how they reacted. Paul spoke about the Lord Jesus Christ who freed him from his sin. And all this, again, reminds me of Jesus. Remember, we did this comparison at the end last week. I see it again. The Jewish leaders thought Jesus was a heretic, too. Pilate thought he was crazy. Herod thought he was amusing. But Jesus never wavered from his journey to the cross to go there and die for us, to take our place on the death we deserved. This morning, we're, we're going to be celebrating communion together. We're, we're going to be remembering his death for us, his body and his blood. And so, in preparation for that, I just want us to remember what Jesus did at Calvary. It really comes back to the cross, right? That's what Paul is pointing us to. That's what his testimony pointed to, what Jesus did at the cross. Because the cross represents our freedom. It represents our freedom from sin and death. Because only because Jesus died on the cross are we able to find forgiveness from our sin. So I'm going to ask the music team to come on up again for the, to sing together. We're going to sing one of those old hymns of the faith, familiar hymns of the faith called At Calvary. And I want to remind you of a couple of the words and then we'll sing them together. Notice how this fits so well with what Paul was saying in this passage. Mercy there at the cross was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty. Where? At Calvary. Stand together and sing.